Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of In No Hurry. I am your host, Cole Douglas Claiborne. So happy to be back with you guys for another episode. Hey, before we get started, if you could take a moment to go to Apple Podcasts and give this show a five-star review and just leave a note about what you've enjoyed about this show so far, that would be a huge help. It really does go a long way in helping people find this show and knowing that this is a show that they should listen to. We've got a great show for you this week. I'm excited to introduce you to a guy named Lo Alleman. He is a poet, artist, a creator, a writer, soon to be author with a book coming out full of poems all about things that have happened this year in 2020, primarily focusing on racial justice issues. The book is called We Sang a Dirge, and it is full of poems focusing on the racial justice issues and other things that we've gone through this year in 2020. And I'm just so excited to introduce you guys to Lo. He's an awesome guy. We had a great conversation and I just really appreciated him coming onto this show to talk about some of these issues and to share his work and his words with us, speaking about what it's like as a black person to experience these things, particularly the things that we've seen in 2020 as it's also been heightened through the pandemic and other issues that we've had going on this year. I think Lowe is a guy that you're going to be hearing a lot of in the coming years. I think he's got a huge future ahead of him. His work, his words in this book are just so deep and they're so good. So I can't wait for you guys to hear him talk about it and definitely make sure that you get a copy of this. It comes out December 3rd and here is a good primer for the book. Here is my conversation with Lowe Alleman. Well, Lo, welcome to the show, man. I'm excited to have you on here. You and I were just talking before we recorded, and you know, truly, th- this is an honor for me because we we get to talk about a ton of incredibly important stuff, racial reconciliation, and how the church can respond, and all that kind of stuff. I'm super excited about that, and this is an honor. Welcome to the show, and just kind of tell us a little a little bit about who you are. Yeah, bro, appreciate you having me on here. Um, so my name is Lo. I, I'm a poet. I'm about to be an author, which is kind of crazy. Um, <laughs> and uh, a dad of about to be two kids which is even crazier and um husband follower of jesus trying to figure out life in the context of being in a pandemic which i think we all kind of are um (laughs) so yeah man it's it's a it's a crazy time to be alive but um it's a good season for us we um moved to texas about three years ago and doing life here in a a church context and it's it's been it's been cool so people you know that, that follow you they may know you're a poet that you know you're you're an artist and all that kind of stuff. What are some other things about you that, that maybe people don't know? Man, I'm a huge Laker fan. Um, so this is good. Yeah, you're most, well, that's the, that's the conflict, man. So I mean, I'm a, I'm a, I was born in LA. So I'm a real Laker fan. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I was, I was on board when we sucked um, yeah. all those years. I cry when Kobe left, you know, like I, I'm, I'm a real fan. But if people remember, like back in 08, 09, they used to do these Nike did these puppet commercials with uh, kind of pitting Kobe and LeBron against each other. Yeah. Because Kobe's my guy. I had a seething hatred for LeBron and his his following. And so now that he's wearing purple and gold, I'm, kind of, I'm conflicted. Yeah, um, I feel that. It's probably the, the biggest struggle right now. It's like, how do you celebrate your team and not like the person who's leading it? Yeah, um, that's true. Yeah, I was kind of rooting for thing. the – I was rooting for the Lakers, though, just after what happened with Kobe earlier this year. It was kind of like it just felt right for the mm-hmm. Lakers to win. So yeah. a little bit of closure, obviously the sports this year were messed up. I'm a huge baseball fan. And so yeah. thankfully baseball got to happen, but like any watching sports at all without any fans in the, in the, in the stands is so weird. It's, it's so, weird. Dude. Watching like the computerized fans during the NBA playoffs and everything. It was like, man, it just looks so weird. Like they're just playing like at a rec gym and it's the yeah. NBA finals. It's just so weird. It's just so weird. Which I, I, I did like to see how many players, you know, kind of emerged like in this new environment where they're like you know, the pressure of having the the fans in the stands didn't yeah. kind of matter as much. And right. so you got a bunch of players who you didn't expect to be that amazing. Just go off. Yeah. Know? I'm from Indiana and I, I don't remember his name, but the, I'm, you know, I don't really follow the Pacers a ton, but the Pacers had some dude on their team that for like four straight games was putting up like 30, 40 points. I don't remember his name actually. Andrew Wiggins. Not, not Andrew Wiggins. Um, uh, oh, he has braids. Oh. Yeah. It was. I, I remember he was like a, he was a decent uh, college player, but I, I don't remember. Somebody's listening to this; they're going to be shouting his name as they're listening to this. But yeah, like he was just some random dude, and it was like, dang, like 
yeah, the, the, the fans in the stands, like if without them there, people can just perform maybe a little differently. Yeah, so, man. for sure. All right. So I, uh, I got to ask you this. I, I came across a video, I guess you performed a poem at your wedding, uh, as your, as your wife was walking down the aisle and man, yeah. I was, I was getting teary. I listened to this, man. How did you, how did you come up with this idea? That's something that I wish that, uh, I wish that I had the ability to do for my wife is write a poem as she's walking down the aisle, but how did you come up with that idea? And, uh, Obviously, it was uh, pretty well received, but um, sure. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you this: it wasn't my idea. Um, okay. Uh, about a year out, um, actually, that's when we first got engaged. My wife had said she wanted me to do this poem. You know, actually walking down the aisle. Well, at first she said she wanted me to do poetry at the wedding, and I was thinking it was gonna be like a almost like a rap battle, like I say my <laughs> vows, you say your vows type yeah. situation. Um, wasn't what it was. She was like, "I'm not writing vows." Uh, going after you so we're just gonna you know do it uh as part of the you know her coming down the aisle and so we did it it was cool um special moment that we were not we weren't at all intentional about the curating of that moment you know what i mean right uh, my wife had an aunt who got sick and she couldn't come to the wedding and so she was like hey would you mind if somebody from my church comes to video you know your wedding we were, we were gonna have a videographer and so we were like yeah sure whatever so he comes he records it and yeah, we didn't think anything else about it. Yeah. Um, and then I got a call on my honeymoon and my mom was like, hey, your video's going viral. You should probably go on <laughs> Facebook and YouTube and like, look at that. And I'm of the mind that my mom doesn't even know what viral is. Like she's super out of touch. And so I'm like, ah, probably a couple hundred people have watched it. And it was yeah. like, when I first saw it, it was like 2 million, some crazy number like that. Golly. It was weird. Yeah, it was like, almost like, like listening to somebody read Song of Solomon or something. It was beautiful. <laughs> So hopefully it wasn't that, that, uh, that deep, (laughs) but it was, it was beautiful, beautiful language. And obviously you mentioned a minute ago, you got a book, you're about to be an author. And so you've got a a book, a collection of poems. It's called, we, we sang a dirge and this is coming out. Uh, when, when does this release again? December 3rd, bro. December 3rd. All right. So, uh, pretty soon. And so this, uh, you know, we had a heck of a lot of stuff that's been going on here in 2020. And this, this book kind of covers, the, the vast array of it, but mostly kind of focusing on um, race and the, and the racial justice issues that our country has faced. And why did you feel that it was important to use your voice to speak to these issues? Yeah, man, it's interesting. I, um, we had just moved at the beginning of the pandemic, like we moved the end of March. And so it was so weird. Like we were buying toilet paper for my daughters, uh, my daughter had a birthday coming up. And so we had family coming in town. We had no idea things were going to be as crazy as they were going to be. Yeah. And so we're, we went to the store to buy toilet paper, like regular toilet paper for people being in the house <laughs> and like the shelves are empty. And we're like, what's going on? We don't watch the news much. <laughs> yeah. So we finally found out that things are getting crazy. So we moved. We, we knew we were going to move um, to kind of the Houston area maybe a month before. Um, but because things were happening as fast as they were happening, we wanted to go ahead and get where we we're getting before the whole everything shut down so we get to houston we're coming on staff at a new church uh predominantly white church so it's a community i have not seen um or really been immersed in and uh, i know it's super white and affluent and so i'm in a place where i can't actually go to the building and actually be with the people and be in the community and then we started hearing all the stories um and just like the litany of names that were coming up and the footage that you couldn't get away from like during the pandemic i think everybody had to sit and wrestle what that footage looks like. I think it's not new for the black community, but I think the whole world had a chance to like really wrestle with this and yeah. um, and not be able to get around it. Which put me in a weird place because I, as a human, not an artist or a minister, just as, as a person, uh, I have a feeling, uh, a weight in my chest and watching these videos and seeing some of the uh, the dialogue around some of these narratives. And it's hard and I want to, I want to communicate that in a, in a way that I think is, you know, helpful, um, not bottling it in. But I'm also in a new space that I don't know, um, in a space that is largely white and affluent and conservative. Right. And I didn't know if it was a safe place to wear all of the pain that I had, which created a weird tension, right? Like you would think that your church community is where you should come to with your your brokenness. But um, I don't know, man, it, it just didn't feel, it didn't feel safe. Not because of my church, but because right. of the culture of church that we have uh, here in America. And so, yeah, I just thought I, I, I'm a writer um, in my prayer time with God. I spend time uh, writing and journaling. And so I'm writing down poetry and writing down just my thoughts and my heart. And we had this, um, this Pentecost Sunday. 
my church had asked me to write a poem and I, I couldn't I couldn't disconnect the idea of us celebrating the breath of God coming into the church while our community is crying that they can't breathe. And so yeah. for me, they're just they're, that that play on words was really easy to kind of lean into. So I wrote this poem and I wasn't trying to be political at all. It was just, this is where, this is where I know we need the breath of God. Yeah, um, right. Write the poem, share it. And I think it does a lot of really cool work um, in the hearts of people because it wasn't an argument about, Hey, you should be on board for social justice. It was literally our theology wrapped around our need for God uh, and worshiping him and inviting him to come and make right things that we can't make. Right. Right. Um, in doing that, there was a lot of really good, healthy response. And a friend of mine who just happens to be a publisher was like, hey, you wouldn't happen to have more of this uh, writing. And I was like, I've been writing for three months about nothing yeah. but this. And so, um, <laughs> yeah, man, it, it felt it felt like a good time um, for me. Like it, it was a it was a cathartic time for me to just write and journal. But I also felt like a good time to maybe offer a different perspective other than just the arguments and the back and forth. Um, yeah. But just some art and some nuance that may lead our hearts towards empathy and compassion and loving our neighbors like Jesus tells us to. Yeah. You make a point to, to, you, you want, you want your readers to know, like, this is not meant to be a political statement. I'm not trying to make a statement about Republicans, Democrats, police, whatever. I mean, you're basically, it's a lament and you're saying, this is, this is what I've gone through. This is my emotions. And I think, you know, in a, in a, in a country in a country and in a year where everybody wants everybody to hear, their, their, their opinions on things. And it's just become yeah. so divisive. I mean, between the COVID pandemic and the election and the racial justice, I mean, it was like everything all at once. It's, yeah. it's, a, it's a cocktail for all kinds of divisiveness. And you're basically just saying like, here is, here's what I'm feeling. Like, here's what I'm feeling. And, and you write kind of about how, you know, at first a lot of people were, uh, this is kind of in your preface of it though. You're kind of setting up the, the book, but you're saying how at the, at the beginning, a lot of all your friends were calling you kind of, Hey, like, how do I approach this? How do I navigate this? And you said, you never really stopped to think about how am I feeling about this? It wasn't until I guess your church called you in and they said, how are you feeling? And yeah. this book is kind of how you're feeling, I guess it seems like. Like word vomit about yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, but also I, I feel like it's a part of it is that expression of like, okay, this is how, this is how I'm grieving. This is how I'm hurting or whatever. But another part of it is in, in where the name of the book comes from is that that passage in Matthew where Jesus is talking about, you know, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of God, at least in his language, is when children are, are, are singing this happy song that our hearts know how to dance and celebrate that, yeah. you know, and then when children are singing this sad song, this funeral dirge, um, there should be some empathy, some mourning, some lamenting with them. And I think we jump so quickly to the argument side of it, like, yeah. or, or the disagreeing or sharing our opinions about it and wanting all the facts as opposed to genuinely empathizing and mourning with our brothers and sisters. And so part of it is like me expressing, you know, this is, this is the, the pain that I feel. And I think the pain of our community, but the other part of it is also um, a bit of a challenge for the church to, remind ourselves that Jesus was a man associated with our grief. Um, yeah. He was a man who understood pain and suffering. And because he is that, like Hebrews talks about, he's this high priest who empathizes with us. He knows who we are. He feels what we feel. Uh, that's that's the kind of savior that we need. Yeah. Likewise, I think the church that we need in our culture today is a church that feels what the people feel. Um, yeah. To hold true to, to biblical truth and our theology, but at the same time to, to feel the pains of, and celebrate the joys of, of, of our neighbors. That's, that's, yeah. that's, that seems to make more sense with yeah. uh, what we believe is true about Jesus, that fully man, fully God. Right. You know, and I'm a writer too. And anytime that I am going through any sort of pain, that the only way that I can navigate it is to write about it. And, mm. you know, for you, how, how much, how cathartic was it to be able to get these thoughts on paper? Huge, man. Um, and, and initially there wasn't a project in mind, you know, and so, right. It wasn't kind of like I'm tailoring this to anybody's right. one, uh, anybody's perspective. It's just I'm I'm just in it, um, and I feel like one of the things for me was I had to discover how I felt. You know, I think I had kind of buried my emotions in the thing yeah. underneath all of my obligation to minister, and you know what I mean, right? Uh, and so I, I think I had I remember being frustrated about something, um, a phone call. I was really frustrated, and I was like, I don't know why I'm frustrated about this phone call. Um, my wife had the same exact phone call, uh, from a different friend. And she was like, I don't know why I'm frustrated, but I know that I am frustrated. 
And we just spent time just wrestling with it for about two days, uh, trying to figure out like, what is it that makes us so uncomfortable about just the nature of the, these conversations we're having? And uh, we arrived at some language that was just really helpful for us, uh, even within our marriage. Like when I'm going through something uh, and, and someone says, I'm sorry for you, but I think it's, it's all of our issue, um, right. that, that further speaks to this idea that, you know, we are not the same. We are not, uh, we're not kin. Um, and, and, yeah. and we're not, we're not one like Jesus calls us to be and that, that it hurts. And so I, I think discovering that within myself and, and submitting that to God's heart. And, and I think feeling that he's kind of, he doesn't jive with it either. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. What, what you just said there really struck, struck a chord because I, the guy that I, I just had on my podcast, he's also a black man. He's the, he's the, the fellowship of Christian athletes director here at the, at the local university here where I live in Bowling Green, Kentucky. And he preached a sermon at my church a few weeks ago on unity. And it was a shortly, shortly before the election. But one of the things that he said is that he has a rule in his house and that's as long as you're in this house and you have the same last name, you're going to get along. You might disagree, but you're going to get along. And he, and he, mm -hmm. and he used this to relate to in the house of God, we all have the same last name and eventually we're all going to be in the same house. And he, kind of what you're saying there about how like, we're all family, we're all kin and we all need to be together. Yeah. That's white people, Asian people, black people, minorities of all sorts, gay, straight, all this. I mean, and I think you still see, especially in the church, that there's still separation. And that's something that you write about that you speak to. Um, yeah. And I guess I guess we can kind of camp out there a little bit. But that's, I think, something that is probably at the heart of the issues that we're seeing. Because obviously, the country has its own issues. But the church has to be, you know, a, our, our, our model here at my church is, you know, we want to be a refuge and a hope for all people, for all people. Mm -hmm. And I think the, the capital C church, I think, needs to have a very similar mantra. And that's uh, especially, especially during the instances and the events that we've seen in 2020. Uh, but that, that idea of where, you know, where maybe w people still see themselves as different, even whenever they, they may go to church with somebody that's a different race, but they still see each other as different. I mean, how, how, I don't want to say how prevalent is this issue, but it's still an issue that we need to address. And, and you spoke to this, I guess. So what were your, you know, what were your emotions and thoughts as you were writing about that? Well, I think, again, like being in, in the place of discovery, which I think is a cool thing that art does, right? As opposed to just, right. I'm going to write a, an essay about all the things I know. Um, yeah. I think art begins in a direction and takes you on a journey as you're, as you're creating it. Yeah. Um, one of the things I think I was, I kind of arrived at, and I don't have any way to say there's an answer for anybody. Right. The book has no answer for anybody right. at all. Um, but one of the things I feel like I was discovering a part of the journey was, man, there's a, there's a way in which we have these conversations that just starts off wrong. And so all the solutions we come up with afterwards kind of camp out in that weird work way of thinking. And right. you just expressed it a little bit. There's a, you can go to church with somebody and still not see that person as the same as you. And I think, at least in my understanding of the gospel um, and how Paul writes in Galatians 3 and how Jesus' whole view about the kingdom, uh, being different isn't a bad thing. I think we've yeah. we've kind of we've kind of talked about us being different in racial and even even cultural terms as if it's a taboo thing. So that you either over exaggerate how different we are um, and make it the only thing you focus on, or you act like the difference doesn't exist at all and yeah. uh, pretend that we're all the same. And within like Paul's kind of language in Galatians, he's, he's talking about how there's no no more slave or free Jew or Gentile, male or female. Like he's he's not saying that, you know, sexuality isn't a thing. He's not saying that uh, gender isn't a thing because he very much thinks gender is a thing, um, very much, probably more so than some of us do. <laughs> um, he is not saying that there's not Jew or Gentile because he goes into what kind of Jew he was in Philippians and uh, and understanding all that cultural baggage that comes with that. Um, and so he, he, he recognized that there is a thing that makes us distinct. It seems like he's arguing for is not sameness, but oneness. And we've separated those two things. We, we, yeah. We've made, we've, or we've confused those things. Sameness yeah. suggests that if I go to a white church, I got to be a white guy or a black version of a white guy. Um, or if I, if I am at a Hispanic church, then I am going to uh, naturally uh, lean and incline myself towards all of the ethics and policies that goes along with um, that ethnic group. Right. And I think for us, at least as followers of Jesus, and that, and that family analogy is so good, um, we have to recognize that we're going to be different. And, and that's, not, that's, that's an okay thing. Jesus' hope is not for 
you know, this bland, um, uh, raceless, our, our ethnicless culture. It seems much more that, you know, every, every, um, you know, knee and, and tongue and tribe and nation are going to confess that he's Lord. So his Lordship does not erase our diversity, but he's glorified by it. He's right. uplifted by diversity. And so oneness as the goal over sameness as the goal, I think gets us a lot farther. Oneness says, if you vote Democrat and I vote Republican, or if, I, if I'm liberal and you're conservative, or however you want to mix that up, like, it's okay. Um, we can disagree, but we can still be one in Christ. Because those things, though they, they, they shape who we are, ultimately, they don't define who we are. What defines us is the finished work of Christ. Man, I love that. I love that definition of oneness versus sameness. And it's mm-hmm. it's so true because like I, I've seen it really in any, you can look at any sort of circle that we've ever been in, even back to school, you know, people tend to gravitate toward either the people that they think that they are like, or the people that they want mm-hmm. to be like. And, uh, but what happens is we're oftentimes, uh, we just naturally don't, uh, do as well at sort of creating this multi-ethnic circle around us. And I think churches have, have done the same thing and it may not be intentional, but it's definitely a thing where, I mean, I, I've, I've talked to a number of, uh, of African-American pastors and, and things like that. I had a guy named Derwin Gray on my podcast and he's a, he's a yeah. black pastor and author. And he talks a ton about how like one of his biggest focuses is having a multi-ethnic church. And he explains kind of what mm. that means and the importance of it. And it's just like, you know, yeah. I think one thing that I, that I've come to appreciate is like, you know, you, you did say differences have kind of become taboo. I think it's so beautiful to celebrate everybody's differences. I mean, if oh, we were all bro. the same, I mean, I'm an English, I'm a high school English teacher. And uh, nice. we, we, we just, uh, earlier this year, my students, we, we read uh, the story called Harrison Bergeron. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Um, mm-hmm. But basically it's, it's sort of a, a dystopian story where the society wants everybody to be equal. So if somebody is smart, they are given handicaps to make it to where they are not able to function as highly with their brain. If they're strong, they have to wear weight so that they're weighed down. If they're pretty, they have to wear a mask. And like all of these, like a, like a full on face. And it's like, you, it's a, it's a very interesting discussion with the kids about like, do you really want what this is saying? Like, cause people say like, oh, I want equality. I want this and this. I'm like, then we look at the, at the, like, what is equity versus equality? What is Absolutely like, like sameness versus oneness? Like, do we really want this? Do we really want to all be yeah. the same? Like, no, cause this is what the, this is what the result is. And so yeah. I think celebrating everybody's differences, like your, your own unique skills and abilities are not things that I have. So like, I get to celebrate that with you. And yeah. you get to do the same with me. And we get to do that with our brothers and sisters where like they've got skills. And, and like, I've written a ton about comparison and identity this year, because that's something that I've struggled with. And one thing that I've come to realize mm-hmm. is that like, if I have desired to be like somebody else, then I'm robbing the world of the gifts that God has given solely specifically to me. And that's mm-hmm. true of anybody. Like if you're trying yeah. to be like somebody else, like appreciate what you've been given and appreciate like the skills and the unique abilities mm-hmm. that you've been given. I think as a culture, as a country, like we need so much more of that. Absolutely, man. Especially when you when you find the most beautiful places of community and just relationship, it, it comes with those distinctions, right? Like, right. it. I would not. I would not marry myself. I'm really glad that my wife is different. <laughs> right. Exactly. Vastly different than I am. Exactly. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. Because uh, I could just do life with me, and that'd right? be really yeah. boring life. Yeah. A lot of things wouldn't get done, and you know yeah. what I'm saying, like. This house would not, not get cleaned if I was living here by myself without my wife. I'll tell you well, that. Much. I'll say this. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, my, so my wife's pregnant right now. So the house is getting clean because she makes me clean. Yeah. Well, <laughs> not that I want to, but you're doing service yeah. for her there. That's good. <laughs> Absolutely. But I, I think, yeah, like the, mo- the most beautiful, uh, at least for me, the most beautiful ways I've seen community done is along diverse lines. Not even just like, you know, ethnically, but like, like multi-generational. Uh, as opposed to, and, and this is, you say it's not intentional earlier, or, and, and I don't think it is, but there is a way in which the church is just naturally gravitated towards like right. specified ministries. Like this is the, you know, the kids ministry, this is the children's ministry or the student ministry, this is the college ministry, young adult, you know, old people, like the, it's, it's kind of, you know, compartmentalized. Right. Um, you look at how, how, how we, you know, how we budget for things and how we staff for things. Like, like I, I'm staffed for a specific role. Um, and of course, everybody knows that, you know, 
church job descriptions are typically written in pencil and they're ambiguous and yeah. they'll have you do whatever. <laughs> but, but ultimately, like when they when they when we make a plan for something, we do tend to compartmentalize them in church, which is not always bad. Um, but I do think that it creates a, a bit of a culture of uh, divisiveness. Um, I was at a, I was a part of a church. I didn't work at this church, but I was I was speaking at a church thing. Um, and they had, it was multiple churches were putting on the same conference. And so it was actually in Kentucky. Um, and so I'm speaking there and, uh, I, I could tell who was the big church. Like you could tell who brought the most kids. You could tell who brought, uh, who put the most funds up towards this because most of the decisions were made to cater to that one specific group. Uh, now I don't think that was intentional, but it's like the majority rules kind of mentality that, if you're looking at all of these kids as the same group, like one group that have different needs and they have their own uniqueness, that's cool. But if it, this is a bunch of compartmentalized groups, then we have to cater to the majority, as, even if the majority is wrong, <laughs> even yeah. if the majority wants something that disenfranchises and marginalizes the minority. So, yeah, I feel like we don't do it intentionally, but I think that's the, the consequence of not being anti that intentionality. You know what yeah, I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. What's up, everybody? I'm Spence with Almost Home Clothing, and I, I kind of know what you're thinking. You have no idea what Almost Home Clothing is. Well, let me tell you a little bit about us. Right now, we have hoodies, we have t-shirts, we have mugs. We're hoping for some hats in the future, but we are just a brand that a portion of all of our proceeds goes to prison reform. Right now, we just wanted to um, give God a chance to show off. So we go in these prisons, we take them through uh, classes, we take them through programs, we shelter them, we clothe them, we do our very, very best to clear up a future for the for these beautiful humans um, that seems a little bit foggy. We would love for you guys to check us out at almosthomeclothing.com or check us out on our Instagram at almosthomeclothing. I kind of want to camp out at just defining what lament means. Cause some people that listen to this may not know what true biblical lament is. And this, this book that you're writing is, is, or that you've written is it's essentially, it's a, it's a, it's a big one, big lament. And how, how does that fit into the gospel of Jesus? You kind of already touched on it a little bit earlier, but how does that fit into the gospel of Jesus and all these issues we're talking about, you know, it is good to, to lament them and it's necessary. And how does that look through the context of, of church and the Bible? Yeah, so one of my favorite passages of scripture, uh, Matthew chapter five, verse four, Jesus says, blessed are those that mourn, for they will be comforted. Uh, this idea that us giving our grief and our frustration, our angst to God, uh, his reaction to that is not to be upset with us, not to argue with us, right. but to comfort us, right? Um, which is interesting because that, that the language of comforter is, is how we associate with the Holy Spirit. Um, and so like the Holy Spirit's job as, is, to, is to give breath where there is no breath, to give know, life where there needs to be revitalization. Uh, and so when we're mourning and we're grieving and we're giving all that to God, his natural response, response, the identity of who he is, like that's what the Holy Spirit is, is, is to come alongside uh, and, 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 and to receive that as a loving father. And so for, for scripture, like biblical lament is it's casting our, our frustration and our pain and our discontentment to, to its proper place. You know, whining is I'm just venting about my problems. I don't, right. any, anybody can get it. I'm, I'm, I'm simply uh, not okay with what's happening. But lament has an expectation to it. It's, it's actually housed in um, hope. That I, I believe that God has more in mind for my life, for our country, for our people uh, than what we're experiencing. Yeah. And the biblical narrative is that lament is tip. Is, it's understood that it that if there's distance between us and God, it's not because God is wrong. It's because we have had sin or we have. You know, gone along, gone yeah. astray, and so lament is not saying God, you are the problem. Lament is saying I need to repent. Uh, as a people, we need to repent. This is not okay, and becoming aware of, hey, this hurts me. Yeah. I should give that pain to God, yeah. uh, and then respond by expecting His comfort, expecting to be present. Yeah, and I think one thing that that Christians struggle with, and maybe even Christian writers, Christian artists, um, maybe not so much, but but just I guess in general, I think people maybe have a hard time that they, they wrestle with the idea of bringing that pain to God or expressing that pain publicly. Like, I, I don't know what you, are you, are you familiar with the Enneagram? Are you big about the Enneagram at all? Are, are you, are you a four I'm guessing? Four. Or Yeah, exactly. So like uh, same here. So like we, we express our pain through our art and that's one of the big ways that, that we show that other people, they yeah. internalize it more, uh, all that kind of stuff. But, um, 
that's, that's how I handle it. And I think bringing that pain and that that suffering to the Lord, first of all, it's completely okay. That's earlier. I asked you about it it being cathartic and I think that's all part of it, but um, God can handle it. And I guess, you know, anybody that maybe you've spoken with that maybe has struggled uh, being vulnerable or or sharing their pain. And it could be about these issues that we're talking about other things that are going on in their life. Um, Mm -hmm being able to lament whether, whatever that looks like for yourself, whether that's publicly or privately, how important is that for Christians to be able to come to God with those issues and those problems that we have? It's, it's, it's huge, man. I, I, yeah. Think about what the gospel is. The gospel is, it's not, it, it's not a curriculum or a, um, a set of ideas that you agree right. upon, right? Uh, the gospel is a shared experience that, that God has a life, according to Jesus in John 10, 10, like life in the full, there's a fullness of life. And I'm inviting you to taste and see that, to experience that. Not just believe some things about it, but to actually experience that. His invitation was to follow him, right? right. Come and experience life with me. Um, in an experience, you feel things. Um, you go places, you, you, you rub shoulders with somebody. What we've kind of made the gospel into is a set of ideas, uh, and it's kind of like post enlightenment. We, we do more study of God than experience of God. Uh, we, we do a lot more of, you know, uh, having all the facts. And it, it's kind of this, this way, way we kind of lean towards, we've kind of removed emotion and experience from actually following Jesus, yeah. which is not what it was supposed to be. Like <laughs> that invitation to be relational was to come and, hey, do life with me, relate to me. Right. Um, and to relate means if you have joy, Let's have joy. Yeah. If you have, if you have pain, bring me your pain. Yeah. Um, like to cast your cares upon him who cares for you, right? Like it's come right. and actually be in relationship, relate to me, commune with me. And so because the gospel is this invitation to a relationship and, and, and a life and an experience, I think that when we start to cut off God from the actual experience of our lives, we cut off the gospel from the actual parts of our lives. You know what I mean? So like I have I have a gospel of of understanding. I have a head gospel but no heart gospel. Yeah. I have a, a, a study gospel, but no communal gospel. The result of that is it, it, it gives us a false view of God because God actually is, he's much more relational than we give him credit for. Yeah. Um, and in fact, a, a huge part of scripture, actually a third of scripture uh, is poetry. It's this, yeah. I want to engage your emotion and your imagination. I want to relate to you. I want to speak your language, right? right. And so God is intentionally relational. So when we cut ourselves off from that, we don't see God as nearly as relational. Paul says, First uh, Corinthians four, I think verse fifteen. Uh, he's like, you, you could have a thousand teachers, but it's not as good as having one father. Like he wants fathers as opposed to teachers. Uh, I want someone to be in relationship with you, not just a yeah. bunch of information. And so the result of that is not only do we cut off our perspective of God, but we forget how to relate to each other. So when my brother and sister comes to me and says, "Hey, I'm dealing with something," if I don't have a relational gospel, I only have a fat gospel. I just want all the facts. I don't actually grieve with them and meet them where they are in their pain, you know? Yeah, so I think absolutely. a part of what we miss is that, you know, that kind of artistic expression of scripture, that artistic and relational nature of God yeah. is, is how I relate to and commune with my brother and sister, even if I don't agree with them. Like, yeah. I can relate with them, you know? Exactly, yeah. I love the way you put that because so much of the show, the premise is kind of about where faith and creativity intersect. And what you're speaking is, is right, right there at the intersection. I mean, it's just perfect. Like we, we are, we are called to be in tune with our emotions, our creative side. And I think everybody, whether you're considered a four on the Enneagram or or whatever, you know, everybody has creative desires and creative tendencies and creative abilities. And I think uh, whatever that looks like, you know, I just, I hope people can feel encouraged to, to bring those to God, however you yeah. need to, especially whenever you're hurting and, and maybe you're, you're ashamed of the pain you're feeling, whatever the case is like, God can handle that. God can, God's yeah. ready to take that. And this year, I mean, I just, I can't imagine, you know, when, when I've spoken with my black friends about this, like I I'm a, I'm a white male and I've lived in middle America my whole life. I just, I've never had to deal or experience some of the things that some of my black brothers and sisters have had to go through, especially this year. And I think, at least I hope this year, it seemed like there was much more of an awakening. Uh, I hope, and this is kind of one of your poems is about like, this is a movement, but where are we going? Where are we going to take from Mm -hmm. here? And I think that's so good because people were so, and, and I was, you know, definitely like right whenever the George Floyd stuff happened, like, I was like, man, we need to take up arms all together. And like, mm-hmm. we all need to be like fighting with each other or fi- you know, fighting 
not with each other, but like alongside each other. It's kind of how I meant that. Yeah. Not like not fighting with each other, but like, you know, fighting alongside each we, other. We've and, been doing fighting with each other quite well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So fighting alongside each other. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I think, and I've been guilty of this too, you know, as the year's gone on, it's like we kind of tapered off the, the enthusiasm that we had for that, for that. And our, our brothers and sisters who are dealing with that on the front lines, they're still dealing with it. And, you know, you, you kind of, you talked about that in, in one of your poems. It was kind of like, amen to you putting the black square on your Instagram, amen to you uh, taking up, you know, the, the movement, but where are we going now? What are we doing with this? And, and how important is it for everybody, not just white people, black people, but everybody to be in this movement together to, it's not even meant to be political. It's just that, Hey, everybody deserves to be treated with basic human rights. And that's pretty sure. simple. And if, and if you can't agree with that, then I, I don't know what to say. Well, I, I think that there there is a there is a um, a way in which we as a culture respond to movements, um, yeah. whether it's in critique of them or in you know joining alongside them. We we see movements well. We don't always see people well. Yeah, uh, I think that's true. The issue, you know, like yeah. a movement can get your attention, um, but it, it should be that. And, and as a follower of Jesus, your whole perspective on People being made in the image of God. Uh, like the reason we think that life is sacred and that and that people matter is because they're made after God's image. And, and that the way he, his language is that he's a father to them and they're his kids. Like we were important to him. Right. Uh, and so movements come and go. Uh, and even though we jump on movements a lot quicker, uh, though a movement can change, the people like you're talking about are still feeling feeling this and, and are expressing this. Like those voices are haven't gone away. These issues haven't gone away. Even if the movement dies down. Yeah. And so what I'm hoping for in the book is not to get people on board with the movement. Right. Um, I hear a lot of people say, a lot of white people say, you know, I can't imagine uh, what it must feel like as a black person uh, to experience these things. Yeah. I think that's the role of, of, of I think it's my job. I mean, that's, as an artist, that's what I want to do. I want to help you imagine it. Because um, yeah. I, don't, I don't want you to get excited about a movement. I want you to have your emotions and your imagination so linked into you know, this is what it means for my brother or sister to go through something. Yeah. Like if I can help you, which I think what the Psalms do, right? Again, that, that, that poetry edge of scripture that's inviting us to not just understand God's faithfulness, but to feel it, like to feel yeah, the moments sure. where the psalmist is like, how long, Lord? Like they're, they're, they're crying out saying, I don't know when. I feel that. Yeah. Like, you know what it looks like to wait for something. You know, what it looks like to, it, there is an invitation is to relate in that same way. Yeah. I think the yeah. same way as, as a poet, I want to help people engage in that, you know, creative exploration into loving your neighbor as yourself. Actually, yeah. feel what your neighbor is feeling. Yeah, um, I think it's what lament does. Is it gives a unified voice of grief that even if, even if you are on the outside of it, um, like I, I don't, I don't know what it looks like to be, you know, exiled into Babylon. But I, I, I hear the book of lamentations, and I'm like, man, I know what that feels like. Um, that's what good art does, and it gives me hope that oh, if God was faithful to them. I've, I've been put in their shoes through this art. I know they can be faithful in my life as well. Yeah. Uh, that's what we're hoping for. Right. And that's a great perspective. I, I needed to hear that. I, I, I love the way you framed that. And whenever you look at this, this collection of poems that you've created, which, which poems in there maybe, uh, like obviously you wrote them all, but which of these stand out to you as maybe some of the more heartfelt or just uh, ones that you feel like maybe, I don't know, have a, I don't want to say deeper message to them, but you know, some that maybe, like hit deeper or just have a little bit deeper of an emotional pull to you, which of these in here that, that stick out and, and what is it about them that uh, maybe the content of them or just uh, maybe the, the frame of mind that you were in when you wrote it, but just which of these, you know, whenever you think about this, like what are some of the ones that come to mind as like, man, I'm, I'm so happy that I was able to put those words together. Yeah. So I, so when I wrote this, the book kind of moves through four different sections of, you know, lamenting with leaning in, longing for listening to, and there was a part where I felt like uh, when I write, I try to be just, I try to be worshipful. Um, yeah. Not necessarily like raise your hand worshipful, but like I'm actually connecting my heart with God. Right. Um, and, and hoping to do that same thing with, you know, the the, the reader. Um, I was writing the the section on, um, on listening to and just wanted to share like, you know, the black experience is not a monolith. Um, no one's experience is a monolith. And the moment you start thinking it is, it's, a, it's like a sign that you actually don't do life with people, um, you know? And if you study a thing, it becomes that when you actually do life with people, yeah. uh, you recognize very quickly that there's not one story. 
Uh, and so, yeah, I was I was writing about, you know, wanting people to listen to stories. And I remember just feeling this overwhelming sense of uh, joy about my own family, about my own dynamic. And so I wrote a poem about my family. Um, and the poem, it, it's really interesting uh, when I think back on it. That poem is, it's not what you would typically think of when it comes to lament. Like, like the, the book has some actually funny parts to it um, and some sadness, but also some joy in there. Right. And I, I wanted I wanted to be just angry the whole time. Um, yeah. That's not what God kind of put on me. Yeah. Gave me a play for that anger, but also discovered like, man, I am, I am deeply thankful uh, to be a black dude, um, to be in my family. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I remember yeah. once a friend apologized uh, to me for like being black in America in this day and age. And I was like, I don't think it's a bad thing. Like, I'm not sad about being black. I, yeah. I like being black. Yeah. You know? Uh, and so I, I think that that moment of discovery, like, like God didn't make a mistake with ethnicity or diversity. And um, there is much to be celebrated, even if we get it wrong and how we flesh it out here, it's actually a beautiful thing. Uh, and so I think that that to me, I was surprised by the joy I found in lament, which I didn't expect yeah. to be a thing. Um, that's cool. Though. It, it, was, it was cool discovery. Yeah, that's cool. I love that. You know, and it's a lot of, I don't want to say a lot, but I mean, part, parts of your, your, your poetry in this book, kind of talk about, you know, where do we go next? Like, what, where do we go from here? And that's such a broad question and kind of painting this whole thing with a broad brush. But, you know, as we, as we look into the, the new year coming that we hope will be better than this year in a lot of ways, uh, you know, but I, these, a, lot of, a lot of these issues that, we, that we're facing with racial uh, issues and, and other things, political issues, they're still going to be present. So where do we as people and as a church go from here how do we learn from the events of 2020 to mm -hmm. to be better people to make uh i guess i don't want to say better decisions but to, to basically learn from whatever we've seen in 2020 with all of the racial stuff how do we how do we learn from this yeah uh, i i'm going to play the artist card and say i don't know um, yeah <laughs> you know <laughs> that's I, fair I, though I like yeah well and so what i what i wanted to do in this book because i had a couple of opportunities to do it i was like this is what we should do yeah. Uh, I asked that question, where do we go so many times? And I intentionally never answer it. Yeah. Um, which I, I, I think that that's, there's an invitation for us to, to need the spirit, um, to need God. And that whole language Jesus gives uh, in John 15, like abide in the vine. Yeah. And if we're doing that well, fruit will come, you know? Yeah. Um, One of my favorite so I, verses. I think, I, yeah. yeah. I, I think there's a, there's a huge need for abiding. Um, I think there's a huge need for connectivity and actually doing life with people. It's been a hard year to encourage people to do life with people that they don't naturally do life with. Yeah. You couldn't even do life with people you do life with. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, the pandemic, I hope, has at least given us a heart to say, yeah, we're never going back to being isolated again. Absolutely. Um, however you decide to go back into being relational, I would encourage that you don't just be relational with folks that look like you, think like you, vote like you. Um, how you do that, I have no clue. Uh, but I think that, that's the need that we actually do life well with the father and we do life well with community as community actually is. Uh, I think it's up to us to figure out how we flesh that out. Um, how, how are you intentionally getting away from some of your, you know, biases and your echo chambers? And how are you intentionally, you know, making sure that diversity is not seen as uh, this extra thing that you kind of put on top of your gospel, but as a part of your discipleship, you want to really love your neighbor well. Uh, and the stranger and the foreigner. Um, I think you have to figure that out yourself. Uh, but I think yeah. that's, that's the journey. Man, that's really good. I, I love that. I just wrote something this week about how the pandemic has forced me to be a lot more intentional about my relationships that I've had in my life, because you realize yeah. whenever you're with somebody, like you may say, oh, I assume I'm going to be with my family on Easter or on this holiday or this holiday. And you kind of take it for granted. And, you know, I have not seen my sister since like February. I've seen my parents twice since all this happened. I've not seen my grandmother mm -hmm. since like February. Cause I don't live in the town with all of them anymore, but like, I just yeah, haven't yeah. seen a lot of people. And like for some of my friends, I've had to do like FaceTime, uh, you know, zoom type of calls, um, all that kind of stuff. And I think what it's going to, what it's taught me is whenever we are able to go back to being around our, our friends and family again, like not to take them for granted. But I also think what you said is a, is a, I didn't even have this perspective, but like, don't just go back to your normal tribes, like mm. be around other people, like use this to, to really maybe 
do community and do life with other people that you would not normally do. And I think that's a, mm-hmm. that's a message that I needed to hear too. Like, Hey, maybe expand your friends down a little bit, expand your circle a little bit to people who don't look like you or think like you, or especially this year who don't vote like you. <laughs> it's a good way to yeah. put it. Well, imagine when everybody says they want to, I wrote a poem about this called 20, like when people are desiring to go back to normal, uh, they really mean that. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. when they say I mean community, they mean they miss the people that they were doing life with. Yeah. Um, and I think what I'm hoping again is trying to tap into that imagination, trying to tap into that emotive place where it's like, maybe, maybe we, we were actually longing for something back there that we didn't know we were longing for. Yeah. You know, maybe, maybe what we, how we define community in the past should, we shouldn't go back to that. Yeah. Um, but to imagine and hope for a new kind of future, a new kind of community. Um, I, I, I don't know, man. I feel like, I feel like people can't possibly long for the kingdom of heaven and how diverse heaven is going to be if they're comfortable with what this is, you know what I'm saying? And yeah. so it helped cast that vision for what, uh, for what it looks like for all nations and all tribes and all tongues to come and do worship together. Like, I don't want that to be a foreign thing when I get to heaven, you know, yeah. I, I, I want to have longed for that now. Man, that's good. That's, that's, that's great stuff. I love, I love your, your perspective and everything that you brought to this, that this conversation so far, man, I, I really appreciate it. Thanks, uh, the final question that I always love to ask my guests. So the show is called in no hurry. And so I always kind of like to talk, talk to my guests about when, when life does get busy, obviously this year, it's kind of been uh, done for us where we slowed down a little bit, but when your life gets busy and you kind of want to just pull back and uh, not be in a hurry, maybe recenter your focus, recenter uh, your priorities, that sort of stuff. What does that look, what does that look like for you? Two things. One, take a Sabbath. Um, yep. We actually try to be intentional with a Sabbath here at the house. I will say, especially given this time, right, where, you know, working from home has blurred those lines of yeah. where I work and where I, I rest at. Uh, and it does. And my wife will call me on it. Uh, she's actually faithful to call me on it, uh, which is good. But like, <laughs> yeah, when, I, when I'm not being intentional that way, um, prioritizing, just saying no and having a whole day to just be with my family, uh, to be with my community in whatever way that looks like um, yeah. and to be present. So yeah, I, I would strongly encourage a Sabbath, creating a rhythm of Sabbath, um, not being slave to a calendar, but uh, intentionally marking time with the Lord, marking time with your people, um, which is good. Uh, and then two, I like journaling, um, yeah. whether it's you know, writing poetry uh, or just like spending time with the Lord. Like that, that for me is, I mean, I think that's the abiding and yeah. you know the fruit that comes from that is I get to share poems sometime, you know? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, like that that place of just consistently meeting with God uh with a pen in hand, with a paper, and just being still in that, it's 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 life-giving. And so whether that's you know, journaling for you doesn't look like poetry, I think there's something that happens when we connect that way. So yeah, yeah. go journal. Awesome, man. You said you got a child on the way. Is this your first one? Second. Second, okay. When's the when's the child due? New Year's, man. It's January Ooh. one. So you're we gonna are, have a book we, come out in one month, and then the next month you're gonna have a child come. So that's we big are couple not months. Bored. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, yeah. You <laughs> may you may bored. need to you may need to really be intentional about creating a Sabbath. Your life's about to get really hectic. I'm gonna take a sabbatical. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you have this will be your second child. Is this? Do you know the Do you know the sex of this new one? Yeah, we're gonna have a little boy. Little boy. All right. Is your first one a girl? Yep. All right. So you got a girl and a boy. All right. That's awesome. Well, so we're done. So That's my awesome. wife, she can't, uh, she can't put her hands on me ever again. Um, <laughs> boy, we're done. There you're done. There you go. Yeah. Well, uh, how can people connect with you if they want to uh, follow you or just be in touch with you or, or that? And also uh, where can they go to purchase uh, your new collection of poetry? Yeah, man. So uh, the book is called, we sing a dirge. If you type that in Google, it'll be saying a dirge book. Um, it'll pop up. Uh, and there's also like, you know, we have a website, um, the publisher is Seedbeds. You can find it on the Seedbeds website as well. And all my stuff is just Low the Poet. That's my uh, social media handles. That's my YouTube stuff. Um, and that's even my Gmail. So what I really hope happens is after people read this book, they send me an email and just want to talk. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm so I'm so for dialogue. And so, yeah, uh, Low the Poet at Gmail, Low the Poet on Instagram, Low the Poet anywhere. That's, uh, that's where you find me at. Awesome, man. Well, hey, thank you so much for for this perspective. Like I mentioned earlier, uh, it really is an honor for, for me to be able to use this platform to talk about some of these issues and uh, hopefully, you know, 
people just like me in, the, in this conversation come away with a new perspective. And uh, especially mm-hmm. as we enter into a new year, a lot of people are trying to maybe make changes or do things differently. Uh, I think one of the best ways is relationally is, you know, try to try to make sure that your circle does not just look like you talk like you think like you, you know, all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. I think it's a perfect way that you put it. So thank you, man. I, I appreciate this conversation and I appreciate everything that you're doing. Hey, Cole, thank you for you, man. I told him before we started recording that I just sort of had a realization the day that we recorded that it's pretty cool that somebody wants to use my little corner of the internet to come on and talk about such important issues like racial reconciliation and the other things that we were talking about. When I started this show, I had no idea what would come of it. And I just think it's really cool how God has used this platform and has put me in contact with people who find it valuable enough to use this platform to talk about these incredibly important issues. So I'm just so glad to have Lo on the show and introduce you guys to him. Really just glad to meet him myself and learn about his work as well. I want to invite you guys to go buy his book, We Sang a Dirge, comes out December 3rd. You can find the links to purchase it in the show notes. Go support him and his work. He's just doing such awesome stuff. And I just think that anytime somebody uses their art to speak truth or bring light to a subject that maybe some of us are ignorant to or just naive about, obviously, I think a lot of us, our eyes have opened this year, at least I hope so, to some of the issues that he's talking about. But I think there's always room to learn more and to hear the experiences of those who are directly affected. So these last two weeks, we've gotten to hear from Wayne Dickens from WKUFCA talking about unity. And this week, Lo Alleman with his book of poetry talking about some of these same issues. So these two episodes that we've had the last couple weeks, I think are great uh, episodes to have toward the end of this year. Hopefully, as we look into a new year, a lot of us are wanting to make a lot of changes in our lives. And I think for a lot of us, I think what we need to include in that is the way in which we treat people and the way in which we look at some of the issues that are facing our country and the way in which we approach them, especially as believers and the body of Christ in our church. We need to approach these things so much differently. But as always, thank you guys so much for listening. If you guys want to connect with me, I am Cole Claiborne on pretty much any social media platform. You can find me on Facebook, Cole Douglas Claiborne, and my website, ColeClaiborne.com. I'd love for you to check that out. While you're there, hit the newsletter tab. Subscribe to my weekly newsletter. This past month, we were talking about gratitude. And looking ahead to December, we're going to be talking about gifts. Not just the gifts that we get on Christmas, but the gifts that we are given by God and the gifts that he gives us in terms of talents and all that sort of stuff looking at all aspects of gifts. And on top of that, I'm going to have some gifts for my newsletter subscribers. So if you like free books and other free stuff, make sure that you go subscribe today so that you don't miss out on some of the giveaways that we'll be doing over there. But I hope you guys have a great week. Hope you find some time to relax and not be in a hurry. And we'll see you back next week.